Hey everybody, Magellan here welcoming you back to another episode of Studio 60 on the Sunset Chats. As you already know by now at this point in the season, this particular series of episodes was recorded in the early months of quarantine, which means that we might be referring to either current events or just overall uh, truths of living that might feel slightly dated. So if there's any sort of, what, why is there that going on? That's why. Stick around until the end of the episode for some this time specific announcements, but uh, otherwise, let's get on with the show. Live from Studio 60 on the Sunset Chats, it's Wednesday night in quarantine. Hello and welcome to Chats, a television podcast season 10, Studio 60 on the Sunset Chats. My name is Alan, and I'm joined by a man who lives and dies on Friday night. He feels like success in a 60-minute podcast is akin to love, and he feels he fears failure like it's death. He's every bit as damaged as I am. It's Magellan. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, man. That one... <laughs> yes. Yep. Yes. you know a lot of the intros are just sort of fun flights of fancy yeah uh, and then some of them are so close to home as to be almost uncomfortable yeah right uh and that was that was one of those well it balances out the ones that are like performatively nice uh, that occasionally I'm a little bit salty or sassy, Sandra, to with you. Uh-huh. But that's just a great line. I just think it's a well-delivered line in the episode, which we'll no, talk I, about. No, I do too, yeah. And I think you're a well-delivered friend. So, hi, welcome to the show. Thanks thank for you. being here. You can thank the doctors, <laughs> right? <laughs> Thanks for to all my healthcare workers. I was delivered. Oh, I see, I see, yes. As a baby. I was a C-section. Really? Yep. You know what they say about C-section babies. That's why I'm so smart. Yes. You know, folks, I'm actually also joined by the face behind Dilbert 27 themselves. It's six from Scandal Media. I've got, you know how much starch it takes to make my tie do that? I work hard. I work hard around here. True fact that I feel comfortable saying on a podcast, especially one that won't come out for X number of years. uh, My bot, like the man, the head of my department is basically a real life Dilbert. And it's very funny to me. Uh, he doesn't wear a tie every day, but he absolutely acts and kind of looks like Dilbert. It's really fucked up. Oh, no. Yeah. Shout out to him. You ever think uh, about how the artist behind Dilbert is a bigot and his trademark yeah. thing is that he doesn't yeah. know how to draw a tie? Yeah. <laughs> so instead of drawing a tie, he just drives a big swoopy. Hey, everybody. It's Studio 60 on the Sunset Chats, where we don't dunk on Scott Adamson all the time. We instead dunk on a man who grew up in sunny... I want to say California, actually. That would be really funny if you... If you I think we looked out. this up before. <laughs> where was he born? So I can make jokes about where he was born or something? I think we've looked this up before. New York. No, New York stop. City. We've he's born in Manhattan to a Jewish family. His yeah. name is Aaron Benjamin Sorkin. He's 58 years old. Yeah, we've looked it up before. He went to Syracuse. Okay, well, we don't, we're going to dunk on him this week. Not as much as usual, though. Um, we watched two episodes of his cult classic one season and then instantly canceled TV show, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. The two episodes we watched this week were episode 9, The Option Period, as well as episode 10, B12. The Option Period uh, has a teleplay credit by Aaron Sorkin, story by Christina Kyung Booth and Mark Goffman, and it was directed by John Fortenberry. It originally aired November 20th, 2006, 
And six, if you don't mind, could you tell me what happened in this episode? Sure. Well, in this episode, after the show comes down, Matt discovers that Ricky and Ron are planning to leave and take the writing staff with them to write their adaptation of their Studio 60 character, Peripheral Vision Man, as a Fox Network sitcom. Matt tries to discourage them from going since he thinks their show will fail, but Ricky takes his concern for condescension, claiming Matt is trying to hold him back. Harriet contemplates doing a lingerie photo spread in a magazine, which Tom and Simon advise her against for the sake of her professional image. Jordan and Danny wrestle with budget cuts, as Jordan suggests either adding product placement or firing 15 staff members. <gasps> Not the staff. It couldn't be. Thank you, Six. Yeah. Um, so I feel like both of these episodes were surprisingly dense for Studio 60. Um, and it kind of, in my opinion at least, feels like the show is starting to hit its stride in terms of juggling plots. Um, not all of them are obviously good, but just in the craft and the way that it handles like going from beat to beat to beat and finishing really sat- in a satisfying way, um, I think is, is better than it has been before. Um, I know with Nevada Day, my main com- one of my main complaints was that besides the fact that we're kind of handling this whole like we're out of we're offset and we're dealing with this like b plot thing all that was kind of sloppy this mm-hmm. this both of these episodes and especially the option period really nailed the thing we wanted studio 60 to be which is a show about making a show mm-hmm. and it's a ama- it's incredible that it took them nine whole episodes to finally just do that <laughs> right right sure yeah it, it took us going to nevada in a private jet with uh you know, a, a Chinese businessman and his violinist daughter, and uh, also one of our cast members was arrested for speeding with his brother going to Afghanistan, and there was a joint in the pocket. And once we got all of that out of our system, now we can do the show that Studio 60 is supposed to be. I think John Goodman, guest star of, of Nevada Days Part 1 and 2, did those episodes and then he pulled Aaron Sorkin aside. He was like, listen, Aaron, great to be here. Love to be on the show. You're really <laughs> fucking this up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're choking I don't ever have to. I don't ever want to have to be a uh, delightful random side character in this show ever again. Yeah. I do Coen Brothers movies. That's the kind of weird that I'm for. This is not what the show is. <laughs> And and yeah, once we like I said, once we get out of all of that weird like crime stuff, funnily enough, we're like we are in the same day as Nevada Day, actually, as I understand it, because they were trying to get yeah. back in time for the airing, mm-hmm. and this episode starts with that airing of that episode Friday, um, so everything is kind of hurried early on. But what I really want to want to dig into is all of the different ways that this episode really like does give you inside baseball without feeling overwhelming. Uh, the Ricky and Ron plot to start um, concerns the fact that uh, there were 37 seconds of dead air in this episode of the of the show. Um, and the reason they find out that is is because there was a missing cue card because they wrote the script for the episode in 47, what do I think? It's like 47 page format instead of 30 they, minute format. No, the other way around. They wrote it in 30 minute instead of 42, whatever, something like that. Um, um, right, yeah. which is very much like lingo for people who do screenwriting but basically it means like the format and the pacing of the of the writing and where each scene ends and stuff and cuts um in final cut like literally they mentioned that they like you guys use the wrong the wrong setting in final cut uh suggests that they might be writing 
a 30 minute uh, pilot to sell to someone and th- theoretically leave Studio 60. Mm-hmm. I would yeah. never want to lose Ricky and Ron. That made me so sad. And it did. Did, did it? You were bummed to see them go? I was crying. No, I was not crying at all. No. I like those characters. They're yeah, fun. They're, I, I yeah, they wish, had a good thing. I kind of <laughs> wish they had done more with them clashing with Matt uh, and revealing more of how he is like a tyrant and not yeah. good at his at part of his job. Like he's good at the writing part of his job, I guess, and he's really bad at the being a producer part of it. Um, and it felt like they were the engine by which the show exposed that and, and got Matt to learn. But then in the second episode, we find a much more fun way to do that. So, uh, by the time the second episode rolled around, I was like, okay, Ricky and who Ron and what? Well, and I think part of the problem is that like that works. So there, there's this part in, in episode nine where, uh, where Ricky is is going off and he's talking about like it doesn't you know like we never get anything on the air it really doesn't matter how good what we write is we could write the best sketch in the world if it came from us you wouldn't air it um, yeah. and that is a fair criticism that rings hollow because the show has gone out of its way to talk about how much Ricky and Ron suck right yeah and how peripheral vision man is inherently a dumb concept and that they shouldn't make it but they're gonna do it anyways damn it I mean, like, and by the end of the episode, it kind of tries to backpedal and be like, eh, maybe we could support them and like help them make it good. They could make it good. I mean, like if if it had been the case where it's like, oh, they're they're like writers whose like style of comedy clash, like not just they clash with Matt personally, but also they do a style of comedy that doesn't jive well with Matt's sensibilities. But other people find them funny, and then also for some reason they are hung up on peripheral vision man which is like oh generally they're funny but that sketch isn't funny and for some reason they're hung up on it this would all work well the issue there is that peripheral vision man is intended explicitly like a uh sort of rib at snl's like tendency in the 80s and 90s like around the chris farley time to do like single bit sketches which are just not often like not funny and were kind of like the death the like early death of SNL. Sure. It's like, oh, this character is weird for this one reason and here's three and a half minutes of the one thing that's weird about them. Tom Hanks um, did Mr. Short Term Memory. Is that a real thing? That's a real one. Fuck out of here. That's Peripheral <laughs> 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 Vision Man is real life. So it's kind of like by removing Ricky and Iran, they're kind of saying this is a new show now, like we don't need that kind of sketch comedy in here anymore. Yeah. So it is a bummer. To, to speak to what six was saying. Um, I mean, it goes back to the episode where the one thing that the writer's room gets on the air has plagiarism in it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the show just can never criticize Matt Albee's writing genius. That can never happen for whatever reason. So it's sort of taking as fact, like Matt Albee's just the best. He's just the best comedy writer in the whole wide world. Uh, And so anytime that it approaches criticism of him, if that comes in the form of criticizing his writing, it's like, oh, but but, 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 wait, 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 wait. But he's the most amazing writer ever. Ah, They literally have a part in the second one where the writer comes on being like, you told me that you were going to do all the work and you literally did none of the work. And he's like, I don't know. I'm busy. (laughs) It's like, oh, man, how he sucks, dude. Uh. Well, no, that's not that's not really what it is in the second episode. Um, he tells him like I'm gonna do all the work, and then the dude is like, "Yeah, that's the problem." The problem is that you're not. Yeah, it it leads to a bigger conversation, like the thing that I I quoted at the beginning about like 
uh, you're not letting them get any successes, so they're not used to like getting a win ever. Yeah, and I, I think the the sort of problem with the Matt Albee character, um, I think the second we're talking a little bit about the second episode, and I want to talk a lot more about it when we get to it, but I think that does a really good job of exposing the ways in which his style of like I'm a one man show negatively impacts other people and impedes their careers. But Mm -hmm. it's also like, I don't think it's humanly possible to write an SNL length sketch show every week, even if you're Matt fucking Albie, you know, by yourself. I, I just don't, because at least everything that I've heard about SNL is like, they're, they're there until five in the morning writing sketches or whatever. Right. You Sounds know? like they're stupid and Matt Albee is a genius. <laughs> right. And so this this sort of idea of like we haven't gotten a single thing on the air since you've been here is like it it sort of defies logic for me of mm-hmm. how can the show be and I guess, you know, in this episode they're saying like, damn, the show sucked, but they don't really connect the dots that it sucked because of Matt doing all the work. It sort of ends up with Ricky being like, yeah, I know the show sucked. And you know what? I don't care. And then that's the problem is that Ricky and Ron like don't give a shit anymore. But that's not the problem. The problem is that Matt is not doing comedy by committee the way that this sort of thing is supposed to go. So, it, you know, I think this episode gestures at critiques of Matt and it gestures at ways in which he's growing by sort of like letting them go. And changing his mind about like trapping them here uh, at Studio 60. But it's still everything that he does is he's sort of like giving a gift to other people. You know, he's like choosing to let them go, um, even though he knows it's going to be bad for them. And, And so everything that he does kind of has this air of condescension to it that I think takes some of the take some of the meaning out of like his growth from episode to episode. And that's right. Well, that's part of what I really like. I really like the bit with Ron um, because I think that actor just, I don't think the lines are that great, but the actor just kills it because you like, cause you know, uh, Ricky has stormed out because he's decided that Matt is being patronizing because he is. Um, Yeah. But also Matt is genuinely trying to help and can't do it over his own condescension. Like he's so used to being an asshole that he's trying not to, and he kind of doesn't know how. And you really get that Ron can tell that Ron is like, oh, you are trying to do a nice thing and you're doing a shitty job of it. But like you are trying. And I guess I appreciate that. And it's such a nice like it's such a good bit of acting there. Yeah, I I love that moment, too, of um, Ron just clearly uh, taking the the advice which is not great advice. <laughs> Matt Albee's advice of like, give him a sidekick, call him like, like dummy, dummy Tommy or so, whatever he says. Well, I mean the, the, uh, generally just the advice of like, don't have a, a show about one character who never talks to anyone is actually good advice. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's a good point. I kind of um, saw a little bit of comedy in that scene too, because Ricky and Ron, like Ron is talking about Ricky. Like, you know, this is a guy I've been working with for my entire career, just like you and, Danny, 
you it's kind of and then i kind of thought saw that as like two men like one is the sidekick to the other one and then he's saying like don't forget to include a sidekick and i truly thought that that was the show being like yeah uh, you see how it works sometimes uh, i didn't get that but i, I didn't want to i didn't want to like mention that yeah it's sharp if it's true i don't know i can't like i mean that's sharp of, that's sharp of you for getting it i don't well thank you i uh, don't know if that was sharp of the show or not but i, uh-huh. I like that read you know mr um, short-term memory could have used a sidekick <laughs> He probably had one and then for Mr. Fish Oil. Him. Mr. Mr. Long Term Memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They only they complement each other perfectly like the Wonder Twins. Yeah, exactly. In in a way it's kind of hard to tell in uh in Matt and Danny who's the Ricky and who's the Ron. You know? It depends. I think Matt's the Ron, and I think that's why Ron and Matt are like getting along. Totally. Because Matt and Danny are both hotheads, but Danny is definitely the hotter head. And Bradley, I mean, Bradley Whitford, you know, also hot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I always figured most of the reason Magellan likes Bradley Whitford is because that's totally what you're going to look like in 20 years, and that's valid. Oh, God willing, and the creek don't rise. Right? I think it's just because you raise your eyebrows and you're like, damn, Grandpa, all right. I got a grampy <laughs> fetish. Wampa, wampa. So the main thing about the whole like people getting fired is because Jordan tells uh, Matt and Danny that the budget cuts are happening due to the Macau deal, which they refuse to drop this plot line, um, which I kind of give them credit for because they're like, no, this is like a lot of money that's being tossed in the air. Like we need to not brush this under a rug and pretend it's not happening and affecting our studio. What's the, so what was the logic behind what are they spending money on in the Macau deal exactly? They're built. They're they're doing like they're, a big like city. I'm contract. gonna build a city in China. Yeah, <laughs> something. I don't know. Um, he literally said that line is like in one of the cold opens. So the thing that's interesting about this, right, is there are layers to this, um, where it's like, okay, we're going to do product placement, and how can we justify the product placement to make it make sense in universe, right? Mm-hmm. And there's an additional layer of that because. They're doing that for real on Studio 60 as well. Studio 60 was starting to have money issues and was trying to figure out, and they do real product placement for their own benefit as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, And so the two layers of that. I was wondering if all of the brands that they name in this conversation were product placement brands. It's it's basically one wink away from like physically looking at the camera to to realize that that's what's going on. I mean, like, like he's um, like, oh, lace up your Nikes or whatever he says. I was like, excuse me, Nike? it was Adidas. Adidas, yeah, yeah. I was like, did Yikes. Adidas pay for that? Well, what I really, what I really like the when he's talking about product placement and he walks and he gets his Snickers from the vending machine. It was like yes, that's Wayne's right. World. Yes. Like, what are we doing right now? It's like a loud scene of the vending machine clunking and clinking, and then he's like, mm, 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 Snickers. As anyway. Mike Myers from off screen goes, I will not bow to any sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's cute, right? But there's like there's no principled stand here. Um, and it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to get a read on like what exactly the take is. I mean, I guess it's just sort of Aaron Sorkin sorting through like, yeah, I, we did this thing that I feel weird about and I guess I still feel weird about it, but we need the money. So I guess we're going to do it. Like sometimes art and, and profit can work together. Sometimes capitalism does work. Kind of. I mean, so the the conversation. I think actually Jordan, uh, or the actress who plays Jordan, whose name I'm I'm frustrated that I can't remember right now. Amanda Pete. Uh, Amanda Pete. Um, 
is like explaining both to the viewer and Matt and Danny how product placement in television works. Because she says, you know, there are commercials. And one of them is like, yeah, commercials are great because they're already baked into the language of television, which is like candy to my ears as a television podcaster. Uh, and then she's like, well, then there's also like, you know, suggested product placement where like people like wear a thing. And then there's ones where like there's a plot line about the product and like it, there's different levels of like how much money can you get from your product placement and like what are the different tiers of that? And I thought mm-hmm. that stuff was so interesting. Mm-hmm. But the argument is that one of them is saying um, once it's in the actual show, it is affecting the sanctity of the writing. Like it's getting in the way of the show production, which it's not, I don't think it is. Well, I mean, um, I think, but it's a tough question. Like, I mean, if you think about this as being like, we don't know how directly this is analogous to Saturday Night Live. Right. But yeah, mm-hmm. if, if you take SNL and SNL does, sketches where they're doing fake commercials right they're doing fake advertisements and they're like oh look it's it's the you know a a big red is an old one from like the 90s or 80s or whatever right Mm -hmm. that's like oh this stupid toy and then you go on and have an actual sketch where they actually do promote a real toy that fucks everything up yeah so there, there is. I mean, like, I think like the term sanctity is is wrong. But let's let's pull a let's pull a Danny trip here. I do think it messes up their street cred. Yes. Right. Yeah. I, I agree. I think it's a valid. This is an example of like a valid plot line that you can have in a show about people who are trying to do a sketch comedy show with some level of of um, what's the word? What's the word? Sharpness, integrity? shrewdness, panache. integrity is the word. There Thank you, you very much. Um, yeah, this is this is the kind of plotline you have in a show about people trying to do a sketch show with integrity, where, um, you know, to to these sort of like rebel rebel guys, it probably feels like selling out um, to have products placed in their show. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think the plot is worthwhile and and I was interested in where it was going to go. But I think the thing that frustrated me about it is they kind of like find a convenient solution to it. Super convenient. Super convenient. Where like Danny doesn't actually have to make a choice. He, Cal just comes up with this. It's a cool idea that Cal comes up with um, of like, hey, let's make it look like we're on the sunset strip on the set. And so there's like actual billboards of real advertisement, but it's like part of the, the tapestry of the set. And I will give them change. I will give them credit. I am here in LA County. That's, that's true. That's what it's like. Billboards. I mean, yeah, Yeah. especially, especially downtown LA. That's just what it's like. Yeah. It'd be like, uh, if SNL set looked like times square or something. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I know like the cold, either the Colbert show or one of the talk shows has like MTA signs and stuff in the background to kind of give the flavor of like, it's New York, you know? Yeah. So it, I think that that's a cool idea, but it also sort of gives us a shortcut out of having to make the choice of like, we need to sell out to a certain extent to keep doing this or like, no, we're going to take a stand and refuse to do this. And instead it's like, Hey, we can have our cake and eat it too. Danny even says to Cal, uh, this is both good and profitable. You know how I find that confusing or whatever he says. Um, I feel like you might as well have been able to see like dollar signs in his eyes in that line. It was so weird. (laughs) Yeah. And then I guess it was cute when they go to Jordan and they're like, Hey, we're going to do it. And, uh, they're like, we're going to screen the ads 
based on you know their aesthetic like, like their aesthetic the and how like if, how much they evoke classic americana yeah um, yeah <laughs> so that that was funny i don't know so it it's a question that's worth discussing that i think ultimately ends in a kind of like okay that's cute which feels like a very sorkin thing where he presents what feels like an impossible conundrum and then he's like but look i was smart enough to figure out the uh, it was actually op- option c right yeah he, i mean i guess true endings it. i guess for once i feel like i'm i'm willing to let this one go because i do feel i mean like you know the the fact that they're set up on the sunset strip is from the premise of the show it's from the title of the show right it's not like most sorkin like ones of these where it's like they introduce this idea because someone offhandedly says it at the beginning of the episode, which we will get into next episode. Um, where it's like, right. oh, the 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 big like the the big twist solution is introduced that episode and then used that episode. That this actually had some setup, and so I'm like, okay, all right, you earned this one. Yeah, that's fair. The other uh, Matt Alby stuff that I found a little less um, fun uh, kind of ties into an issue that I had with both of these episodes, which is the slow and gradual but obvious kind of flanderization of the character of Harriet. Um, It feels like they've run out of things to do with her other than to make her fall in love with Matt again and to be kind of stupid stupid <laughs> like yeah. so the par plot line in this episode it's less egregious than it is in the second one. the second one is like oh i but in the, i like it in the second one but we can you're allowed that. to like it i as i wrote all of my all of my notes were like this i don't like this magellan likes this over and over again <laughs> i i just know you magellan listen we are here for you we are not um, going to king shame you on this podcast it's fine okay i pre- Unless. appreciate it i do appreciate that um, Her plotline in this episode concerns uh, a photo shoot, sort of a lingerie it, it photo bugs, shoot. It bugs me a lot more in this one than in the second one. Yeah, well, this one is, yeah. So she, the lingerie photo shoot that she's thinking about going to, and you have both Tom and uh, uh, Simon telling her, basically walking around with her like gremlins throughout the set of, for this entire episode, <laughs> yeah. being like, no, you can't do it. You can't do it, Harriet. It's a bad idea. And she's like, why? I'm, ha- like, I'm allowed to make my own choices. And they're like, no, you don't know what you're doing. It's bad for your reputation. She says, you know, she makes a lot of good points here. Uh, which are unfortunately couched in the fact that she doesn't seem to understand that people have religious fetishes. She like cannot circle that square because she's saying like, what's wrong with me being devout? What are you saying? It's sexy that I'm devout. I don't understand that. And I'm like, how did you get this far in Hollywood without realizing that a lot of your career is based around the fact that you're attractive and also a devout Christian? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, the main argument is like, if she does this, then those people are going to be mad. So she has to maintain her reputation. She wants to do her own thing. And the line that I did really enjoy from her was when she said, you guys are also exploiting me by having me be the like token Christian on your show so that you can dunk on Red Wing states or yeah. on Red states. That was a uh, pretty stark moment where Tom yeah. says like, because you're our shield or whatever he says, you make it so that like we can point to you when we get criticism and then she says well at least they pay me for it right uh, and then he's like well we pay you and she says to be funny i uh i i really liked th- i think that was maybe the only part of the whole plot that i thought was strong and it's because yeah. harriet is like asserting herself in that scene and being like fuck you guys 
I know what I want to do, so I'm going to do it. And I think every other part of this plot is a man telling Harriet <laughs> what she feels or yes. like what she should do. Yeah. And I, I also really like it, it is the most like close Harriet has ever come to sounding like someone I actually know. Just the, like, the, yeah. the, no, fuck you, pay me. It's like, yeah, no, okay, I'm on Twitter too, yeah. I get it. <laughs> if right. you're going to, yeah, if you're going to tell me how to live my life, then pay me, pay my checks. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and this is, again, all couched in this stuff of, like, men telling her what to do, and uh, men not being able to contain their, like, unbridled horniness for her, because, know. you know, this oh opens, like, the cold open is actually Simon and Tom walking in on her, in her, like, with her shirt off and in her underwear, uh, and then explaining why that's not a bad thing. And they're like, no, it's fine. Like, we see you all the time. And she's like, yeah, when it's my choice, when I'm allowed, to, when I'm like, you know, when we're in dress yeah, rehearsal. Right. And then later in the episode, you get the, the sterling gold line of, we respect women in their underwear. <laughs> Which is fucking... <laughs> Stop! Every every time I like either Simon or Tom, they go and they do these moments where they become these little like teen boy gremlins, and I'm like, no, stop. yeah. And also, every they say it so so much, but it feels like every time they say, "Hey, don't do this," they're like, "Listen, I mean, we'd love to see you in your underwear." Hey, right? Listen, you should get more naked. We'd love yeah, it if tell, you were naked. I'd, I'd love to see pictures of you in in a bikini or whatever. But well, let like, me open up my wallet. I've got a picture of how straight I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's got my it's, real wife who is my straight wife yeah it's so the yeah just tom, tom and simon throughout the whole thing they kind of keep repeating themselves and they're just doing this gross stuff and uh yeah when they walk in on her changing they just stand there and stare at her yeah and they are unfazed um it's just icky it's super icky, and yeah. this and what 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 really is a bummer about this is it doesn't end with Harriet asserting her own independence. Really, it ends with Matt being like, "I'm an atheist, but isn't it more Christian?" If what is the exact what is the actual line? I should uh, double check it because she starts talking shit about him, and then she says, "Do he says like doing the shoot, like doing the photo shoot just to get back at Women United is petty, and ultimately the least Christian thing that you could do is be petty. So you should do you should uh, not do the shoot." Because that's that's what that's what virtue's about, Harriet. You don't know. I know. I'm Matt Alvey. Well, I I was conflicted about the scene because mm-hmm. it did have that that intimacy of like people who've been together so long that they know each other. That Matt kind of knows her better than she knows herself. And yeah, when Matt says that stuff, it's better than like when Tom and Simon are saying stuff, though. Yeah, yeah and it, but it's not often that like she gets the one up on Matt Albee like that. So it feels mismatched um, because I feel like the show has almost always presented him as being in the right when they've had back and forth like this. Mm-hmm. But it, it did. I did like the moment where he was like, um, yeah, you're not doing it because of Deborah messing or whatever. You're doing it to get back at those people, the women united in, in faith or whatever. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, <laughs> I guess. I yeah, I guess you're that. right. I guess I am. The part and where she gets back at get back at him is where she says, "Young girls look up to me, Matt. Just like young boys don't look up to you at all." <laughs> that was, <laughs> and that's great. That's cute. a wonderful part. Um, and I also like that he. I like the sort of synergy between the plots where he's giving her advice not to be petty, and then immediately goes and takes his own advice. 
um, with mm. the Ricky and Ron situation. Right, right, right. I kind of wish that he had told her about it, though, <laughs> and gotten her advice. And so that she could have been like, hey, speaking of petty, but he just kind of like goes and solves his own plot for himself, which I felt like was a missing component of this interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like, I'm increasingly buying into Matt and Harriet because they're just Sarah Paulson and, and, and Matthew Perry are just selling it so good. You know, they just look at each other with such, such little doe eyes and they really, they love each other. <laughs> and I, I, Magellan mentioned it, but I really do like, I really do like the, in a vacuum, I really like the dynamic of like, you are, you are, everyone's talking to you about this thing, but like, I've known you long enough that I can be like, oh, you, you don't realize your actual motivation here, right? Yes. But yeah, the problem is it comes in an episode and a series and from a creator who is just so consistently patronizing to women that it just doesn't work. Yeah. All that context makes it hard to separate that scene yeah i i have i have um some notes about context um but i want to wrap up the discussion of the actual episode first um because boy oh boy howdy did i learn some fun things um but we we have a couple of other brief moments uh lucy one of the writers uh, as well as darius the new hire are left as the only writers on the team left uh besides matt albie after uh ricky and ron take you everybody with you them understand i gotta protect the senior guys you understand yeah. come on that's my, the, that's my Ricky impression. Come on, it's you a good. It's a, it's a great Ricky, honestly. Yeah, it's a different um, different read. It's a different take on Ricky. Uh, all the stuff about like unions and like how different people get hired and who's allowed to go with whom, I actually find pretty interesting. I thought like I want to know about that. Like when you're a writer, like are you part of your team? Because like I said Ron, earlier, Ron is like I work with Ricky. Like we are just a duo. Like the two guys who work on Game of Thrones work. They come as a package deal. The chats kids come as a package deal. You don't hire one of us. <laughs> Right. Um, I also did think it was interesting that they, whenever they negotiated their contracts, they sort of built in this trap door of like, uh, you take one of us, we get all the writers. Well, like, or that you get both of us. No, that they could, um, they could go and do peripheral vision, man. Like that's in their contracts that they, uh, the only thing that they could go like write a pilot for was that, um, and so I, I don't know. I just thought that that was a kind of cool showbiz thing of like them being shrewd and pragmatic and saying, just in case, let's kind of put this, uh, you know, break glass in case Matt Albee comes back. Cause they negotiated those contracts before, uh, Matt and Danny took over the show. Mm-hmm. So for a while they, and they also, I guess, put that in all of the writers contracts too. <laughs> the, all of the writers could, it's like, yeah, we are totally loyal to studio 60 unless hypothetically <laughs> Ricky and Ron go and do peripheral vision, man. And then we can go join them. Yeah. It's, I really wish they'd done more with this. Cause I really find it amazing. It's a really fun bit of characterization that they don't do enough with of this idea of these two writers who are like ostensibly like, very skilled professional writers who are just obsessed with this sketch that isn't funny. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. That could be They're a really like, big This is our cash cow. Yeah. And I really, I, I just, you know, 
it could be such a great character thing for them if it had been a recurring thing wh- where they're, you know, like maybe if the relationship between them and Matt was a little less hostile and he'd come down and be like, what do you have? And they're like, I mean, we got peripheral vision, man. He's like, oh my God, again? No. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we, we only really have it mentioned. I can't think of another episode it was mentioned except for the pilot, right? Yeah, where uh, where Cal says they're just going to keep writing that until it's funny, huh? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um. Because it would have been, yeah, it would have been fun for them to keep pitching it and for us to see clips of it. I don't know. Maybe we eventually see what it looks like. Maybe. I, I think can we only don't. Hope. Um, As I understand it, we do not. This I think we should. I think it's time for the Studio 60 revival. But of course, the Studio 60 name is cursed. So we need to get Aaron Sorkin to run a uh, new season of Peripheral Vision, man. Yes. Yeah, yes, and it I just agree. starts on season two, and we just have to figure it out backwards. <laughs> it's it's like it's like ab- Memento, but stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever think about what Peripheral Vision Man actually would be like? Like li- like try and envision it for a second, you know? Because I guess Vision it's just like the a superhero can only see things in his peripheral vision, or he has extra good peripheral vision. <laughs> Judging yeah, by the bumper the from the first episode, it's the latter. Yeah, it's the latter. He has so he can see perfectly clearly in his periphery. So he kind of like has a wide lens all the time. So I mean, you could do like like he could be you know like wearing a superhero like costume, but he's like, but the jobs he's getting is like, oh, he's wearing that costume and he's a substitute teacher, and they're like, hey, with your abilities, you could catch kids like slacking off in class, and it's the only job he can get, so he takes it super seriously. Or I don't know. Okay. And then he's like a prison guard for an episode, and he's like, I see all the prisoners trying That's to sneak funny, out. Funny, I guess. Yeah, no, it's it's as good as anything on Studio Sixty. It's listen. it's honestly <laughs> it's as good as like. Remember, in the Studio 60 universe, SNL still exists. And so, like, it's as good as Night at the Roxbury or whatever. Which got a movie. The whole, yeah, and the whole bit is, or it's as good as Coneheads. Didn't Coneheads get a movie or something? Yes, Yes, it did. did. Yeah, and it's just like they have cones for heads. Like, there's been some dumb shit that's spun well, off of SNL. Magellan, they're from France. The cone heads? That's their. Oh, you haven't seen. Oh, mm, let me indulge you with okay, some okay, cone yes, heads more. Uh, so the thing is, obviously, they're aliens, right? And their heads yep. are cones and they behave strangely. And yep. people comment oh. on this and are like, "Whoa, what is with you guys? Are you like aliens? Like, why are you act like this?" And they okay, say, from "We're from France," and everyone goes, "Oh, okay, dumb, but kind of clever." Wait, hold on. <laughs> no, I'm, just kidding. I'm just kidding. I was actually just looking up what was going on at SNL in 2006, just to get a kind of snapshot. Yeah. I mean, the killers, you got killers performing, you got the first time Jason Sudeikis ever did George W. Bush. He started in that year. Zach Braff hosted the finale along with Maroon 5, which really just kind of clicks in what you're thinking yeah, about. Molly you Shannon. Right in the odds, yeah. Molly Shannon was like coming back to the show with Linkin Park performing. Like just even like just looking at the hosts and the the, the musicians, you get like a really interesting image of it. Hmm. Um they even had like Barry Gibb talk show came back because Justin Timberlake was doing digital shorts. Like this is like when Dick in a Box was 06 also. Um so, you know, SNL's like doing okay things, I guess. Yeah. Six. Um, I had a lot of stray notes unless anybody else has any big mu- things in this episode they want to talk about. Um, I just to just on the the topic of Aaron Sorkin writing women in a weird bad way. Yep. Um, I really really resent 
just the entire genie situation. Yeah. The second episode opens with her ass shot of her taking a shot, and it's like, chick, it kind of lingers a little bit of oh, like the second one does that i'm saying that's what i'm saying the second one starts on that <laughs> yeah um but in this one uh simon and tom are like hey we heard you're doing this shoot we just heard it and oh, she's yeah, like yeah, well yeah. oh genie and genie is just like genie's such a fuck up and like well genie's always going around not wearing a lot of clothes and stuff and it's like what are we doing it's it's they danny has said in the epi- in the show like oh genie is like when we need someone to be sexy and but she's not that bright and that's the way they treat the actress and it fucking sucks i'm yeah, sorry i know i, I, tr- I am trying to swear less but i gotta swear on that one it's yeah. terrible it sucks no the, and this is why i feel like i'm being a little bit harsher on the harriet stuff than y'all are because I re I've like really internalized not only the fact that that's like Aaron Sorkin basically going through therapy with his ex, but that I looked this up, y'all. Do you know who the ex was, Magellan? Who? Fucking Kristen Chenoweth. Oh boy. Okay. Which like suddenly clicks in so much into place, right? Christian. Oh yeah, like oh you were on Broadway. On Broadway, say. musician, like does music, uh, everything. Like even they look kind of similar. You're like, oh, ooh, ooh, I suddenly, also, I don't like the, I can't. Now that I know who it is, and, like, I really like Chris Chenoweth. I think she's a wonderful actress. Yeah, um, she was on uh, previous chat show. Um, yeah, on Pushing, Pushing Daisies. Daisies. She's amazing on Pushing Daisies. Um, and I saw, I, thought, I saw that, and I was like, oh, God, he's just, he's just giving himself therapy with the Harriet stuff. So every time Matt Albee is like, Harriet, I got you. Like, I'll figure you out. And it's like, that guy broke up with that girl, or she broke up with him in real life. Like, fuck. <laughs> And now I'm it just, just makes me feel weird. Aaron Sorkin and Christian Chenoweth together. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, bud. Um, so that's cute that's a whole together. Thing. Aaron Sorkin kind of cute, cute together. Guy. Nope, that's not true. What you just said. Um, A- I'm Aaron Sorkin that. is a good-looking guy. What are you going to say? What? I can't agree. I won't give you that. I mean, right. you're allowed to have your own opinion, but but I think he's handsome. Okay. Um, the main, so the other notes I have here about like all the other different minutia of television production. I'm sorry for not letting you have a crush on Aaron Sorkin, by the way. I just want to roll that back. Yeah. I thought I was, I was told that I wasn't going to be. That was me. That was me. That was six. (laughs) All right. Well, and six, six didn't. Uh, so I appreciate that. Good. Um, (laughs) all the minutia, like Jordan explaining the debt to equity ratio to people and why they need to fire people because if the debt exceeds the equity, then we're not taking in profit anymore, which really is like a fancy way to say like we're spending more than we're, or we're, we're borrowing more than we're taking in mm-hmm. is really what it, it ma- yeah, I, means. Yeah, it, uh, that was hard for me to grok. It was, yeah. I, I did appreciate like it was a good, it was a good moment of Danny getting like, you know, just the usual like Sorkin way, but taking down a little bit of him being like, of course I know about that. And she starts to explain. He's like, I don't know anything. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I just read a book once. Yeah. Um, yeah. All the like finance stuff. And he talks about like, oh, we can fire the office team. And you realize that SNL or whatever probably has a whole team of people who are like interns and office people who never, ever produce or really work on the show, but are just like in the finance division of it. Mm hmm. Uh, or for the network, like all yeah, that stuff definitely. is so. Definitely, that's 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 multiple people's full time jobs, and I kind of appreciate that either Matt and or Danny in this episode are like, we can't just fire people. Like this is L.A., you can't just like throw. We could throw jobs out. We have the power to do that, but we shouldn't do that because sometimes we have morals. 
Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so Jordan also explains pattern budgets, which I looked up because I thought that was an interesting concept. Basically, um, something I always think about is like, when you talk about budget on a TV show, um, is it budgeted like per season or is it budgeted per episode? Because you know how you'll be mm-hmm. like, oh, this show feels like it ran out of budget in the end, like that classic chestnut. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The way I understand it uh, is that you get two kinds of budget for when you make a TV show. There's pattern and amort budget. And pattern budget is like, this is what it would cost to shoot and post a single episode of your show. And if you exceed this, then you dip into the other one. And a more budget is the one that's like everything else and stuff that requires like different, like this episode has pre- uh, costuming or this one has sets or titles or whatever. So pattern budget is like your standard budget and you don't want to actually see that too much, but you ha- you often have to. Interesting stuff. I, I really do like this like behind the scenes. Here's what goes on behind when you make a TV show with stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, we spent a good, a good, like a little over half an hour here sort of being a, a little, you know, harsh on this episode. This was maybe my favorite episode so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's it does everything it tries to do. It's I mean, it's not that ambitious, but that's fine. I would say they got all their ambition out with Nevada Day, and now they're like, let's just do a normal episode. What what happens when we have to fix? We have to get advertising figured out. Okay, here's what happens. Great. Like I learned yeah, stuff. Right. The characters did all the things they need to. There's plot mo- movement and momentum. Like it all, it works. Mm-hmm. It just yeah. has some frustrating parts. And I know we tend to drill into that on this pod, but that's that's what we do. Sure. Yeah, uh, I enjoyed it. Some other lines I really liked. Um, there was that, that surprisingly charming scene when Jordan is t- taking a phone call and Matt and Danny, uh, he's like, you're about to get a call now. And then he points and the phone rings and he like cheers. I love, I love that. And she's like, shut up, shut up. And they're like, we're being quiet. <laughs> it's was, so it was well oh, I, love, I love that so much. It really felt like almost improvised how good it was. It's like, wait, <laughs> do they just like have fun doing this? Like, we're going to act like children <laughs> while Amanda Pete tries to be a phone, a person on the phone. Oh, it's great. Those two yeah, guys have it, it's infinite such a, chemistry. Such a classic, like, uh, male best friends but a little too much machismo in that best friendship that they're like celebrating together and being like yeah take your show on the road and like not making eye contact at all right right, <laughs> they're, right. they're just, just like they're just posturing kind of yeah yeah um i thought it, it it felt really real and it was really funny absolutely i think weird aaron sorgan can write dudes extremely well <laughs> not extreme i mean but like in specifics like that mm-hmm. yeah. um and then my last one here is just that uh one of the lines Jordan tells Danny, because they keep trying to make Jordan and Danny a thing, um, is she's talking about how you run a business like her is short term. And she says, when I took this job, they told me to pretend that I have a year to live, which kind of like paints her character in a cool no, she, way. No, she decided that. They didn't tell her. She decided that. Oh, well, the, I yeah. told yeah, I decided to pretend I have a year to live. So like every decision shouldn't be about five years down the line. It should be about right now. Like what are people working on and making the shows that I'm helping work on like how is this affecting them? And it's it's interesting because I think on the one hand, like that's like, oh, that's obviously bad for like running a company that's like a bad like capitalism would frown upon that, right? Of course. Of course. But, but also, I think a lot of CEOs do that where they only give a sh- give a give a darn <clears throat> about short-term games while they're there and like oh, whatever comes after, I mean, I'll be gone by then. Who cares? 
I just want to get credit for what I did in the the, the days where I was there. So actually, right. I think that's yeah. not that uncommon a perspective. The turnaround is so fast that as long as I can like leave a mark and get out, then I and collect a check, I'm all good. I don't have to fix anything. Right. Right. Like there's, so there's there's no like capitalism doesn't drive anyone to fix structures. It drives them to make short term gains. For sure. Um, but that's what I got. Uh, the other thing that I discovered between these episodes, because I watched one at work and the other one when I got home, was one of my favorite critics uh, is Alan Sepinwall. He's like one of the premier TV critics. Uh, he wrote a lot of good recaps uh, of Mad Men back when that show was airing. Uh, that was the main stuff I knew him from. And back on his blog, when the show was airing, uh, he was reviewing it episode to episode. And I found his piece about this one in addition to the the same week's episode of How I Met Your Mother. And it was a really weird experience, like That's reading him. Strange. His thoughts on like, here's what happened in How I Met Your Mother this week and why I thought it was pretty good. The show's getting weird. And then like, Studio 60 sucks. I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) And all of his, uh, one of the things that I found from that was he has a bunch of commenters and someone was like, uh, by now, based on the production of the show, they have to address the fact that Amanda Peet was pregnant while filming this show. And they did in the next episode. Hmm. So it felt like real life finally, or the show caught up to real life, which was cool. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So do we want to pivot and start talking about the next episode for this week? Let's do it. Fabulous. Well, the next one we watched was episode 10. Oh, I forgot. Uh, Another bad moment was when, um, what's the writer lady's name? Uh, Lucy. Lin- Lucy yes. just like kisses Lin- Matt on the lips to make yeah, Ricky jealous. That. That yeah, stupid. it turns out Lucy has never had a good moment or line. And I don't think it's her fault at all. Yeah. yeah. You only know how to make, yeah, that definitely felt like a, I don't want to just be like, that wouldn't slide today, but it's not even just that. It's just like, what was that? What was the, yeah, what was the, what, that was my feeling. What was that? Exactly. What was the play here? Um, yeah, it's a weird moment. Yeah. She gets somewhat more to do in the second one, but let's get into it. Yeah. Let's talk about my favorite episode of Studio 60. Wow. That's, I'll give you that. I'm going to allow you is. to have that opinion. I think it is so far. Let's see. So it's called B12. Rock Lobster. By... Oh, the B52. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, sorry, yeah. Close. One number off, bud. You're so close. Um, B12 was written by Eli Atti and Aaron Sorkin. 60 on the Sunset Strip. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Um, it was directed by Brian Gordon. Wait, not the Brian Gordon. Right? <laughs> we used to do, there's an improv thing we used to do in college that, uh, where you'd go, hey, Fred Schneider, what are you doing? And then you just had to say literally anything in that voice. I'm eating my cheese. It's out of the box. Oh, <laughs> college improv is wild. <laughs> yeah, it's quite, um, quite a time. Yeah, Brian Gordon. He's not the famous person I was thinking of. He directed like a bunch of Office episodes and like comedy stuff. Uh, this episode aired November twenty seventh, oh six. And Magellan, I would like you to tell me what happened in B twelve. In this episode, the cast has to get through the show despite being ravaged by a virus. And Matt has to get through the week with a new and much smaller writing staff. Matt calls in for the help of fellow former writer of Studio 60, Andy Mackinaw. Jordan reveals to Danny that she's pregnant. Inexperienced writers Darius and Lucy have a sketch approved to air for the first time, only to have it pulled at the last moment due to its similarity with a real-life hostage situation. Hmm. Hmm. I need to start by asking this because I tried Googling it and didn't find anything, but this will affect the tenor of this conversation. Uh, 
is that's not a real thing that happened, is it? The the hostage situation at the center of this episode. I don't think it's based in. I reality. don't think it's real. No. That's fascinating that they chose to do that like that. Cause well, I mean, they don't want to stumble into their own problem, right? Like the the uh, show is right. the, the episode is partially about how you can't make light of a real world like tragedy like right after the fact. They couldn't then actually do that for their show. That would be terrible. That would be so irresponsible to make a show about events that just happened and affected millions of people who don't work on the show. What? <laughs> while talking while talking about how you can't do that? That seems like a terrible well, that'd be crazy. You make a whole plot line about how they get the how they get it right when everyone else gets it wrong. Maybe if you space it out by a couple of years though, it'd be okay. That'd be fine. Uh, Jeff Sunset clear We made the jokes. <laughs> 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 if it wasn't clear enough, I'm definitely layering the newsroom theme slowly, fading it in out. <laughs> do you think the fact that the murders happen, the murder-suicide situation happened in Gross Point, do you think that was a reference to the fantastic film Gross Point Blank? Yes. Again, another note I had was this episode's about Gross Point, but John's going to mention Gross Point Blank. You're Fuck. so... I mean, yes. if, if Magellan didn't, I would have. Uh, yeah, it's a good movie. It's a great I, movie. Uh, I love that movie. Six thoughts on the film of Gross Point Blank. I've never seen it, but I love it. Oh, okay. you gotta see it. Do you know the it's premise? Really fun. I think so. Is that that's the that's the surfers robbers one, right? No, no, that's, no, point, no, that's break. point Break. <laughs> okay, then no, I don't <laughs> know the premise. <laughs> no, Gross Point Blank's cool. Gross, you would like Gross it. Point Blank is uh, so you've got John Cusack. Oh, is that the one where he's a he's a a hitman? Is a hitman, and then he uh, gets assigned to do a hit in his hometown the same weekend that his uh, high school reunion is happening. And wouldn't you know it, he decides to try to reunite with a high school sweetheart of his played by Minnie Driver. And so he's he's trying to get out of the Hitman game and get into the life game with this woman that he loved a long time ago. Uh, And... You know, some some hijinks happens along the way. It's fun. <laughs> there's there's some some people who wear like president masks who rob banks and they're surfers. No, again, and- point, again, point. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a whole scene where he like has a gunfight in a convenience store set to live and let die, and I I just saw a clip of Donald Trump in a mask factory. Where not wearing a mask himself, of course, of where course, someone of course. over the loudspeaker was blasting the song Liver Let Live and Let Die. King, I don't know who did that, but that is fucking funny. Oh, yeah, that is sure. satire right there. That right there is satire. Yeah, so I actually watched, I'll also say that I watched this episode, uh basically twice um i got through most of it the second time before realizing that the back end of it is is very straightforward because Mm -hmm. it has a non-traditional timeline which is a pretty common thing in sorkin shows i think Mm -hmm. every sorkin show i can think of has an episode that takes place out of order like this um Mm -hmm. so it specifically begins on the cold open of an episode hosted by howie mandel who's doing a bit where danny tripp comes on the stage and pretends to be howie mandel in deal or no deal with the whole phone thing and all of that i will say it's that cute. as funny as a normal snl celebrity monologue yeah, bit completely wasn't, wasn't yes. too bad honestly yeah yeah and howie mandel performs it really well it was weird seeing him in this and remembering deal or no deal and how like dated to the 2000s that show feels now mm-hmm because some people who watched him then were like, oh, back in the 80s and 90s, he was in like movies and stuff. 
because uh, wasn't he? Yeah, he was in like Walk Like a Man, and he's also in like Saint Elsewhere. And then Bobby's World was the cartoon that he did. So he did a bunch of stuff. Also, dude is sixty four years old. It turns no out that being bald way. means that you don't age. Mm, um, good trick. That's my. But also having a flavor saver means that you don't age. That's the other thing. He hides mm. the age in his little cool beard. Uh-huh. It's like a, it's like a picture of Dorian Gray. Exactly. <laughs> if he shaves the beard, then he instantly ages really fast. Yeah. Um. So we learn a lot of stuff. And again, like it's, I said, it's kind of all portrayed like in the ending. And then we roll back all the way to the beginning at the beginning of the week. We have stuff about how like, oh, everyone's really hot and sick because there's a virus going on, which... Listen. It made listen. me uncomfortable. <laughs> it made me uncomfortable. I, I didn't feel good about it. It made I, me feel weird. I didn't I didn't feel that bad about it until we get to the end. So there's like it it seems like the only point of the virus thing is to get to the gag at the very end. <laughs> the where sneezing, or the spitting, the spit take. Yeah, because there's this scene, this like delightfully silly scene where Matt walks in on all of the actors doing spit takes. Just for fun, I really I thought that was very charming. That was very charming. Yeah, I agree. Um, it was kind of like they, walking in on aliens. It was, I mean, I, I mean, I, how much they were doing it. It was like, just bizarre. Dick. But yeah. like, you know that SNL type people ha- do shit like are that nightmare humans. Yeah, I guess that's probably they're, true. They're like <laughs> tired and bored, and they just want to make each other laugh. And they're like, oh, I got water. Like, let's just that's true. That's true. That, that is that that makes sense. They are that desperate you know? to make each other like laugh. Like when I, I get it. when I listen to um, Amy Poehler's book, Yes Please. Yeah, there was some bit in there where either she or in the Seth Meyers chapter, he was talking about like bits they used to do together. And there's this one bit about like how Bill Hader would be like a, a funeral host in the future or something. And it's like, they just, they do shit like that all the time to crack each other up. So I thought that that was pretty charming, but then the virus stuff, I guess the virus stuff serves two purposes, both of them dumb. (laughs) The first (laughs) is to get to the point where it's like, Harriet's like, Oh, I haven't gotten sick all week. And then they're like, oh, all right, yeah, everybody spit on her. That's hilarious. That's when I felt really uncomfortable um, because of our current context <laughs> and how we are not at all uh, feeling cavalier about viruses. And then we might someday, maybe in a couple of years, we'll make jokes about like, you're going to get COVID. I hope not. <laughs> I mean, we will. <laughs> we certainly will. I, we're making 9 11 jokes. So I guess. Right. Guess we will, but uh, I saw the grisliest tweet today. Tell uh, me about the tweet. Where the person was saying, like, hey, kids, you may not believe this, but 19 years ago, there was this event where 3,000 people died and the whole nation grieved. And we learned the names of the families of those who were killed and we learned their faces. And nowadays, uh, 3,000 people are dying every single day and we don't <laughs> know anything about them. Well, okay. We're just talking about going back to normal. Yeah, guess who's talking about going back to normal? Not us. us. (laughs) Not us. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Not us. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, But to get back to the episode, uh, the other joke. The second reason. Yeah, yeah, what's the second one? uh, That the virus thing is happening is because you can't get a B12 shot if you're pregnant, 
which of course as soon as that's set in the episode you're like okay who's breaking that right yeah it's it's i think it's the the most clumsy that setup has ever been used by sorkin absolutely because yeah. this episode already like really elegantly weaves together a bunch of plot lines together but but then the it's that that part it's um matt saying danny can't take it because he's pregnant which sucks ass mm-hmm. and then it's the main like the fatter guy who's one of the actors being wearing a dress and they're making jokes about the him like wearing a dress and being all hot and sweaty and they're like you passed out in drag we're gonna remember that for the rest of your life <laughs> it's yeah. dumb Stupid. god this show is it I mean this show is just it that's just dated like i don't think it's not like that that would never get written of course it wouldn't get written today because this show came out a long time ago uh just a different time that's like a thing i've been thinking about a lot as majan and i are still in our prisoner season of chats mm-hmm. it's like when that show is like kind of racist i'm like i'm not excusing it at all um but like i i understand what the world was like back it's fine it's a different time um but anyways yeah. uh so the, there's virus the, stuff that's the, the thing least interesting the, plot. sorry the thing about the like matt saying that danny's pregnant thing that was kind of amusing was danny's response being just ignore him He's trying to he's trying to build momentum for this bit right now. If you just ignore him, he'll stop. And then Matt brings it up later and he's like, Oh, you're pregnant. And Danny's like, still not funny. Um, that joke's not getting anywhere. I promise you it's not. Yeah. I didn't expect uh, Jordan to be pregnant. I thought it was gonna be Harriet. Uh well D- dog uh, again. Pa- so here you Benjelin. Yeah, hit me, dog. You are here as our our test audience for a person who likes this show. Yeah, I like it. And I like this you episode. You are buying Jordan or no, sorry, excuse me, excuse me, let me restart. You are buying Matt and Harriet. You are you are invested in them. You are not invested in Danny and Jordan, so they need new stakes. They are trying to sell you on that. Mm, I am invested in Danny and Jordan. They're just not doing Danny and Jordan. Yes, you know they I mean? are. They're no, they're, they're like, I understand that they're laying the groundwork. I've seen TV shows before, but Wait, they're not. Have? Winks at camera, at, <laughs> winks at eight plus seasons of chats. I've seen TV shows. Um, but they're, they haven't really like had them do a lean in like, oh, are we about to kiss? Oh, Jordan. Um, you know, so all right. I get what you're saying. I mean, I think, sure. I think it's, it's the Bradley Whitford, like, I don't know. I don't know if this is a Bradley Whitford thing or if this is an Aaron Sorkin thing. How he tends to cast Bradley Whitford, but uh-huh. when Bradley Whitford conf- constantly playfully fights with someone, it's because he want his character wants to sleep with them. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> including Matt. Method. Including Matt. That's his, yes, correct, <laughs> correct, 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 and true. Uh, yeah. The the I think that's. I mean, the real reason is because Amanda P was pregnant, as I understand sure, it. But sure. like, still, Jordan being pregnant is like, wait. And we're going to deal with that. We're going to find out with who and all that stuff. And it's going to be yeah. great. We're gonna have a great. The thing about Bradley Whitford is I do think he's hot and I don't think of him as sexual. Is that weird? No. I think no, I get it's, it. it's just sure. a sort of beautiful man. You may be surprised to learn, Magellan, yeah. that there are people in this world who can find things attractive without being sexually attracted to them. Wow. <laughs> Tough for me. To they may envision. be closer than you think. <laughs> Tough. Tough for me to envision. I can't, can't couldn't be me. Oh couldn't wait, my hands—they're disappearing. They're fading away. You have to believe. <laughs> <laughs> the photo of six is vanishing. Please, it's a picture of Charlotte please. falling off. You the have box. to clap. You have to clap. Uh, your parents in the past are finding each other attractive, but not sexual. Oh no! Oh god! 
Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, sorry, Alan, you were trying to start a sentence several times, and I kept interrupting you. I don't know, man. This is y'all's podcast. I just, I just host it. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a lot of plot lines here. I'm just trying to decide which one is the most fun to talk about. The Harriet stuff is like, so okay. The Harriet stuff's brief, right? Here it is. I like she... it. I'm here to defend the Harriet stuff. Go ahead. Stop defending all the bad parts and only defend the good parts, please. <laughs> <laughs> Stop being wrong. Me on Twitter. Um, Harriet can't tell a joke. She literally, and it, Matt explains it to her. He says, you're the kind of person who like can deliver jokes given to you like a child. You can repeat it and you can deliver it effectively. But when it comes to telling the joke on your own, you don't understand what like composes to be, to, to equal a good joke. That doesn't like work in your head. So she's trying to tell this joke about how a Jewish man calls his mom and he asks her how she is. And she says, I haven't eaten in 37 days. And he says, why haven't you eaten in 37 days? The reason is because I was waiting for you to call and I didn't want my mouth to be full when you called. That's the whole joke. Alan can't tell <laughs> a joke. It was 38 days. Fuck. <laughs> I guess I can't tell a joke. Um, th- it's convenient that Matt tells the entire joke because Harriet spends the entire episode being like, um, so there's a man and he's Jewish and he hasn't eaten in 37 days. Wait, no, I mean 38. I mean, his mom is 38. No, uh, <laughs> she just cannot connect it. And that's the whole joke. That's her whole plot line. And that's what Harry gets to do this week. <laughs> it could be a cute character beat, but it's for a professional comedian. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, if it was for like, if it was for like mm. Matt's assistant, like okay, sure, she tells jokes every day. She tells jokes no, no, for no, no, a no. living. All right, so here's yeah, so here's where I here's where I come to the defense of this. Um, first of all, it is a really strange setup that she's like, hey, I became a member of this society, and now for not some real, reason, by I, the way. I have to tell a joke. Yep. At like, why is that? At like an induction or something? Well, sure, she's got to give like she, an induction speech, and it, it is expected that a comedian would tell a joke. Okay. that's That setup is stupid. It's cool that she's like in a society, but to say like she has to open what perhaps I'm naming a specific joke book on my shelf. Uh, uh, awesome, cool. Wait, what is it called? Kids Cool Jokes? I don't remember. I have Kids Quickest Comebacks. That's a great joke book, but that's full of comebacks. Anyway, but cracking open a kid's joke book to tell a joke is that's silly. Um, but like, it's a different skill to tell the like. Okay, so a rabbi, a priest, and a whatever walk into a bar and blah blah blah. Because you do have to remember these like arbitrary details, and you have the end of the joke in mind, and you might sell it too early. Like I've had moments where I tried to do a joke like that and then i totally forgot the one thing you were supposed to know to get it and i've had to be like oh shit i totally forgot by but, the way he's a he's but she a does rabbit it for a whole day dude yeah and also this is the sure, person it's a tv who, show it's a little exaggerated because they the, need a running gag it's this is funny. the person who runs news 60 news 60 yeah, is but entirely these jokes, styles of joke but no yeah. but news 60 jokes are different jokes because it's like set up punchline set up punchline that's what like this a, joke is it's not but it's like set up set up set up punchline you have to remember a couple steps and also in news 60 she's reading it off the cards but she does what she, i was gonna say was maybe she's the kind of comedian who's good at reading like i said like what matt says reading other people's jokes really well but why wouldn't she just make cards then <laughs> well yeah that's yes good point 
She should have made cards. <laughs> I'm not gonna argue with that. But I, I think it's a I think it's like it's I think Sarah Paulson sells it really well. I think it's really funny to watch her mess the joke up in a bunch of different ways. Uh I think it it feels like it fits with Harriet for me, where she's sort of like she's funny, but she's not like you know, she doesn't really care about comedy in like a critical, like I'm Matt Albee and I'm going to make the most genius comedy ever kind of way. She cares about it in the like, it's good to make people laugh and bring people together. And when asked to bear like, said raw. Right, exactly. Like that, <laughs> that part's good. That's that good. serves the purpose of a joke. People laugh. They like, they feel good. And that's what comedy's for. And so for her telling a joke that's about these like little mechanical pieces that have to interact exactly right. Like that's not what comedy is for Harriet, you know? And so in that way, it doesn't, it doesn't click for her because I don't think that she thinks a joke like that is funny. She just is doing it because she's like, this is what jokes are. (laughs) Right. She's just doing it because she's like, this is what jokes are supposed to be, I guess. And so the fact that she's like having to fit this mold of what jokes are supposed to be. And that's like short circuiting her brain. That also tells me a lot about her and adds to why I enjoy it. Hmm. Okay. I'm cutting all my comments about Harriet out of my notes so that I don't refute any more points that are. No, made. go ahead. I mean, I, we can all have our opinions. I just, I genuinely thought it like developed her character and it was a charming, refreshing, like running gag. In- you know who would work for is Jordan. I want Jordan to be funnier. To be honest with you, yeah. You know, yeah, Jordan would be, a, I guess, a better choice, right? Because mm. she's like, I could tell a joke. Yeah. But they they give Jordan so many, like, ditzy things to do. True, true, true. Like, get pregnant, the ultimate <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> wow, yikes. Um, Backing out of this joke. <laughs> Not related. I heard, a, I heard a joke book joke recently that's really good, by the way. Can I tell it? I heard Thank David, you for giving me a clean cut to get rid of that last comment. I heard David. I heard uh, David Wayne tell it on a podcast recently. Oh yeah. Um, he didn't come up with this joke, but he he likes it. Um, he goes, uh, so I got a new th- thesaurus the other day, and ugh, it's terrible. And not only is it terrible, it's terrible. Right. Yeah, I I appreciate uh-huh. it. I appreciate it. It's yeah. pretty good, right? It's a pretty good one. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Alan's having an experience over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Going through the journey of this joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being carried through it. Uh, me and my friend Dilbert27 from Ain't It Cool News. What a uh, stupid username! Come on, you couldn't think of hey, a better one than that, Dilbert. Fuck yeah! First of all, it's 06. I also Come had a on. name number at the end. My I name. was, I uh, was. Where do you think six comes from? I was Dilbert yeah. six. All right. Yeah, let's be honest. <laughs> Honestly, what it reminded me of six was you know shout outs to the one true god, Legacy Derek himself. <laughs> <laughs> you, I guess. And okay. For the listeners at, at home, by the way, uh, Legacy yeah. Derek is a player that we met randomly in Final Fantasy fourteen who was very bad at the game and complained a lot. That's but just good. the fact that they named their character first name Legacy, last name Derek is never gonna slip my my mind. Yeah, if you I guess I can't it. I guess I can't come down on Dilbert twenty seven because for a while my username in like games and stuff was yeah. was Revan is cool. <laughs> like Darth Revan from Kotor is cool. Yeah. I mean Revan is cool. 
pretty cool lady. Is, it's true. Revan is cool. Pretty cool lady. Wow. Ow. Well, you know, is she canonically a lady? Yes, she is. Revan? Wait. No. No, the, the, the first, no, the, isn't it the second? The, the, the exile is canonically a lady. The Jedi exile is canonically yeah. All right, great. Yeah. Uh, that's the KOTOR fan inside of all of us secretly. Yeah, well, listen. I'm a fan of Jordan because there are two great moments from her in this episode. One is when she has a bunch of like consultants and people telling her who to interview with and uh, everyone is like standing up uh, and like yell, talking about her like, well, Jordan, you got to do all this, all this stuff. And she's like, let's we should sit. Let's sit down. And everyone does it like like that. And I was like, oh, my God, like they really are good at conveying that Jordan can control a room sort of with like the way she talks yeah. and the way she presents herself. Mm hmm. Um, which is so uncommon in these like Sorkin shows. I guess like the cartoonishly competent woman is not too. It's not out there, but I like her a lot in these in these these moments where she like asserts herself. Well, and but like um, it's 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 a thing where like specifically like cartoon cartoonishly competent Sorkin women are like oh they're really smart oh they got really good grades oh they made all these achievements they aren't like treated with respect. No, they work like yeah, they and work extremely hard, and they get the closest so anyone hard. comes is people talk like make lip service to talking about like wow, I respect you so much, and they act without any respect for them. And so, seeing a genuine gesture of respect where she's like, "We should do this," and everyone just does it immediately, feels yes. unusual and good. I agree. Agreed, and yeah. the other great Jordan moment is when she does the Time Magazine interview that she asked for, and because she had to take one of the people, and she said, "I'll take Time Magazine." Uh, and she just roasts this guy. Mm. She tries to be polite. She tries to just like listen to him and answer his questions, but she doesn't want to have it. And he's he's like completely uh, berated by her. And be, she's like, "You're terrible. I don't like people like you. Interviewers are all hairdressers. You're useless, and none of your questions are worth my time." And then him and the woman that's with him are are like step out. And she's like, "Let's go, Bill," which I only comment on because a that was a funny part, and b he he has this like sort of i don't know how to describe his voice but he has a voice that reminds me of one of my coworkers whose name is bill and i was like i i literally was like wait am i this is weird i, I don't like it when real life intersects with studio 60 on sunset strip at all hmm. it just made me feel very weird i didn't like it yeah what, what did you not like about it you know like that, this part but like the interview i didn't like the interview because i i i, I just so Jordan is a character who likes to be cute, and I like to be cute too. I am not same, saying same, that same. condescendingly. I like yeah, she likes to be cute. I get it. You like that. You like to have that dynamic where you're sort of throwing people off guard and you're making little jokes here and there, and you're just sort of being fun and friendly. Um, but part of being a person like that is you can tell when someone is not here for it, and you turn it off. And someone like Jordan would not get to the position she is in without knowing when to turn it off. I don't believe yeah. it true she's too competent to not know how to turn it off especially and, in a and we've also, it does, we've it, does it, off. it is hard to buy that she wouldn't understand how to like control the narrative of her own press at this point right mm -hmm. or at least give a yeah an interview where she's just across the plate like hey i'm a normal person um I mean, I, I, you know, I do buy that, like, she's really pissed off that all this ex-husband stuff keeps coming up and she's starting to feel the pressure of, like, I'm about to get fired. Jack Rudolph just yelled at me, that kind of stuff. Sure, but, sure. But it, she does go from, like, glib to, <laughs> to well, fucking Alec Baldwin's character in um, that one Sorkin movie really fast. What's the one where he's like, I am God? What's that one called? Ah, uh, Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. 
No, 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 no. Where he's like, it's like the doctor who's like going through the malpractice lawsuit. Oh, oh, like, oh, oh, oh. Uh, God no. was in that surgery room. I am God. Whatever. Yes, doesn't. that's what's it called? That's what's it called? It's for malice. It's malice. malice. Yeah, yeah. She goes. She goes from glib to malice really. Yeah. Really fast in that scene. Yeah. yeah it just. It just like. Specifically, he's like he makes it very clear like. Okay, stop giving me joke answers. Give me real answers. And I just, it's just so hard to buy into the idea that she isn't able to figure that out. Yeah, he seems like he's kind of on her side, right? Or at least he's he's trying, he's trying, I think, you know, he's doing the thing that you do as an interviewer. I've done some interviews, not very many, but I've done a few. And it's like, you want to, at least in the moment, be a fan of the person you're interviewing. When you go to write it, you know, you write what you write. It could be so totally different. But in the moment, the best way to get someone to talk to you and to be open is to be is to appear as a fan of their work. True. To get the most out of your role players, you'd be a fan of the players. Same thing. Same yeah, principle. Totally. And then you say, same okay, thing two things happen. happen at the same time. <laughs> Several things happen at once. Uh, <laughs> a rock falls on your face, and also the rock's name is Kevin. I'm starting a clock. Doing? It's called "You Have to Leave Now." <laughs> Kill the rock. It's your it's your wife somehow. Um, I okay. So we've talked about all the other stuff. We talked about Jordan. How that's going to go somewhere next week. It's kind of weird. It's kind of a bummer. She's pregnant. Wow. Oh my god. Danny finds out because she's like, "Don't give me the B12 shot. Don't give it to me." And he's like, "Why?" And then they both say it at the si- the same time to end the episode. I'm pregnant. You're pregnant. Wow. Who's she pregnant with? A baby. <laughs> what a, who's she pregnant no. with? Who, who did it's she a have xenomorph. A you caught her. Listen. I'm being sass and I don't like it. I want to talk about the best also what last last like small thing. We could before we talk about the best character in the episode. Why is Martha Odell back? What's going on with her? I don't know, because they keep talking about a piece that she published on Tuesday, but then we never see the piece really or hear what well, the piece, the piece, well, you hear what the piece is about. The piece is about What's a movie that about? Tom Jeter recently starred in that is oh, uh, not doing very well at the bo- box office. It only made who $5 gives, million. Dollars. I'm making the most disgusted face I've and, made in uh, years. But they say that. They're like, who gives who a fuck? Who gives Why a you write this? fuck? Yeah, and honestly, I mean, that that's that's true, and it, it does make it like... it. It doesn't work because it is really hard to buy that Martha Odell, this Pulitzer Prize winning author, would write a op-ed, one being like, oh, this person put out a movie and it's not making a lot of money, and then citing a random person from a forum. That just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, it's a complete, well, cool news complete like a- straw man. Any mm-hmm. cool news is a reputable new was a reputable source at the time is no longer yeah the con- the comments in any cool news maybe not but yeah, yeah yeah but yeah it's just such a total straw man for Aaron Sorkin's like when when um, Danny Tripp says get like stop looking at your computer life's <laughs> happening all happening around right. shut you. up boomer ass. <laughs> so so dumb boomer i love that moment because then um, she's like yeah. i'm reading an email about how jordan's gonna get fucking fired yeah you interested now that's your lady friend bud he says, oh, no. yeah okay what's it say <laughs> i want to know what it tell says. me so to, to, to loop back around to the main plot basically um what's happening behind in the background of this episode the actual se- like hashtag serious time event is that a man is, is has his family captive uh in gross point and uh by the end of the episode we find out that he's killed them and himself in a murder homicide simon makes a comment later that he did it in the wrong order of course uh 
and they have a sketch that was written by Lucy and Darius about an incompetent hostage taker based on the whole T-Mobile thing. Um, and they're really excited because they finally got to write this sketch and they got to get something on air thanks to the help of Andy Mackinaw, who's a writer slash, I guess, consultant slash acquaintance of uh, Matt and, uh, and Danny. Um, he convinces them to let the sketch go to air. And then as soon as they convince them and they call all their friends and family and tell them we finally got a sketch on TV, it is pulled and they handle it with a lot of uh, grace, honestly. They're like, yeah, I under- I'm not going to fight this. That's a bummer, but that's how life goes. Um, nothing but good praise to the actor who plays Andy Mackinaw. Oh it feels God. like they actually finally got somebody who acts like a TV writer it's in the so show. Good. It was so refreshing. It's like, this is what the show could be. He was that moment where he's my favorite Studio 60 character that's shown up. This is my favorite Studio 60 subplot that's happened because it's just about what it's like. It's just about the thing. We're doing what the show is supposed to be about. That moment when he comes in and it's that the contrast of Matt at the beginning, like yelling at them across the table, doesn't know how to talk to people, doesn't know how to manage, doesn't know how to like inspire people. He just scares them. And then this guy comes in who's like, so detached from life to the extent that he's the most tuned in to what's going on out of anybody. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he sits down and he's like, I got it, Matt. Like they get it. Let's start by sitting closer to each other. It's not a question. It's not a negotiation. He's like, yeah. I'm here to just do what you need me to do. And I, ate it up i loved the whole plot from that moment onwards it's so good because both as a character but also in the context of the show he exists to just like vacuum up humor and be like no there does not need to be humor here come over here get writing (laughs) right right yeah you know what's brilliant? Well, first of all, yes. The, the scene that John's referring to when he says we should all sit closer is to m- deliberately contrast an earlier scene where Matt is trying to talk to, to Lucy and Darius and they're on the other side of the room. And I noticed because he kept being like, huh, can't hear you, what? And that's like the dumb recurring joke. They never, no one ever like doesn't hear each other on TV shows unless it matters. And it does matter here, but I just thought that was interesting. And no one on mm. like Sorkin shows ever says, um, which again, I think if you're writing a script, you would never put an um into the thing. But I think, I wonder if they like tell their actors, like don't ever miss your words because every single beat has to be perfect or what, how that mm. works. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah. So what's amazing about this character, A, I'm so happy he's coming back. I'm so excited that he's staying on and he wants to do more episodes with them. That's fantastic. Um, that guy is played by Mark McKinney, who uh, sketch comedy fans will recognize from Saturday Night Live from 1995 to 1997, as well as being one of the main cast members on Kids in the Hall. So, Mark McGinney, like, absolutely knows his shit. They got a dude who knows how to do sketch comedy. And you'd think that would mean, like, oh, he's really wacky and friendly and nice. And it's like, no, he's ultra depressed. He's what an actual comedy writer is like. (laughs) They hate their lives. He's like, if you're doing it right, you're drinking yourself to sleep every night and you you have no like positive view of yourself. That's well, the way it works. Well, also his wife and his kid died, right? Like it's, he's had, he's, some shit has happened to this guy. I didn't catch that actually. Yeah, they say it. Matt says it like he just did a translation of some play into Dutch 
that was written in English and it's like, oh, they do some joke about how like, oh, the prose really soars in, in Dutch. And I thought that was well delivered, a bad oh, line wow. delivered well by Bradley Whitford. <laughs> um, and then they have this whole back and forth where Matt tells Danny that um, what happened to him, that his wife and his, his kid died. And Danny is like, oh God, that's awful. Like it's a really real wow. moment of, oh, wow, that's terrible. Um, yeah. and so they bring him in and yeah, he's, he's this sort of like specter of, of depression and death. Um, but because of that, he, he's just blunt in a way that, that they need. He doesn't dance around anything. I, I adore the moment where he goes up to Matt and he's like, all right, I'm leaving. And Matt's like, okay, for like an hour or no, I'm just, just leaving. I don't want to work here anymore. <laughs> yeah. You're just. You're wasting their time. Like they're never gonna try because they know that you're just gonna do it for them. So I'm, I'm just gonna go. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that really it's, is like he he takes the sort of dad teaching his kids to swim approach of yes. Um. They're never they're never gonna learn how to work hard to be funny until they truly truly bomb mm-hmm. and are so embarrassed by just a dead pin drop silent room that they say, okay, well we can never let that happen to us again. Right. And the Uh, scene, the scene with, uh, after the, the dress rehearsal where, uh, first off it is like right outside the theater of them being like, Oh God, we bombed. He's like, yep, you super did. That was pretty terrible. You did a really bad job. And then, um, and that's, that's like decent. But the real treat for me is when they go back to the writer's room and they're like, oh, God, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm going to lie down, but uh, you do whatever you want. (laughs) Yeah. Chill. Yeah. And they're like, we're going to take another pass at it. And he's like, yeah, I'm sure the 23rd time that you do it is going to be great. So Um, mean. It's funny because he like the dad thing is spot on because he's mean, but in a way that's actually really like beneficial to their their growth. Unlike the way that Matt Albee treats them, which is like, let me handle everything. Stop. Like if you if you just suffer for long enough, you'll be good. It's the very like capitalist view of like you're just gonna have to grind for it. Mm-hmm. And this guy's like, no, they need to win sometimes, and they need to win it. Like they need to get a sketch to air and have it suck and have it booed off the stage, because what they need to realize is like getting the sketch on there isn't the thing you want. You really want to like make something people give a shit about. And mm-hmm. if you keep telling them like none of this is getting on air, none of this is getting on air. A, they'll never know what's funny, and B, they will never have a taste of that, and they'll always be like, well, why would I care if I'm never going to make it on there? That's how you burn writers really quickly. That's exactly the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's it yeah, it's, a, fan- it's, it's a, a really, you know, if I were, uh, um, if I were someone who, like, was teaching teachers how to teach and was using TV clips to do it, there is a a, a conversation to be had here in, like, how does Mackinac's approach differ from Matt Albee's approach where Matt Albee's sort of like, he gives them the premise. He's like, yeah, they're not actually going to do it. Like I'm going to do it for them. I'm going to round up for them. If they mess it up, I'll fix it. And so if you're a student who's in a classroom where you know that the teacher is going to like fix your answer for you or like do all the talking, then you're not going to try and you're not going to learn anything. But if you're in a room with a teacher who's like, yeah, Alan, go ahead. And then you give your answer. And if it's wrong, they're like, no, that's not right. (laughs) Or they just sort of wait for you to figure it out and they don't give ground. Kids learn in a room like that. 
uh, and they care about learning in a room like that because they can see that like if you know stuff you get to display that and if other people know stuff you learn from them um so it's just i really appreciated that this episode showed a significant kind of deficit that matt albie has um and how important and meaningful it is for other characters to have that deficit addressed um Mm -hmm. and yeah, I think that it applies to teaching, it applies to parenting, it applies to any sort of like mentor um, relationship, really. Uh, yeah. I love it. I think he's fantastic. Um, and again, it shows when you actually get people who've worked on Sketch before to be on your TV show, like really drill down on the fact that it's not just that these people are all misanthropes, but you got to love them. It's like, no, sometimes they suck, but they say the things that people need to, to hear. And that's what makes yeah. it good. And then the the two other things that I really like about it are when they learn that their sketch isn't actually going to be on the air because of the circumstances, and um, and Andy Mackinac is like, yeah, they they're prof- they're pros. It's another part of their victory, you know, mm-hmm, right? That they realize like, oh, the thing that mattered was that we we made the sketch. Mm-hmm. That was the part that actually meant something. And, and getting it seen by our families, cool. But the thing that matters, like, we worked our asses off and we did it. And Matt is like, Matt in that moment is about to walk back to progress. And he's like, no, 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 I'm so sorry. Oh, God, this is so terrible. Oh, how could you possibly? And he's like, no, listen, they'll be okay. Leave it alone. Yeah. Leave it, it alone. Yeah. Let them um, go back to work. And then the other part of it that I love is when he's leaving for the night and he's like, I think I had fun. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. <laughs> I'm so glad. Yeah. And Matt and Danny are like, yeah, one one more week. And he's like, yeah, one more, one more week. I'll call now. I'll call now. <laughs> I adored that. Um, uh, Don West voice from the newsroom. We did the news. <laughs> yeah. I was I was um, I was really bummed that uh, ultimately Harriet didn't go for the photo shoot because then we could have done a we did the nudes joke. But ooh, mm. sorry, Don Kiefer, not Don West. Don West is another person in real life. I was bummed Harriet didn't do the shoot because I wanted to see her. Yeah, because she's so hot. I, I because know exactly no, listen, I can't overstate how straight I am. <laughs> listen, listen, we definitely want you to pose nude. Don't get us wrong. Yeah. I was listen. We moved to Joyzy. <laughs> we we get a big bag of ghoul. Hey, bada bing, bada boom. Uh, no, <laughs> my wife left me. Oh, shit. Uh, Do we have any other spare, spare notes, stray notes on this episode? It's really good. Basically, the sketch doesn't go to air. Um, they fill that time with uh the spit take stuff, and then it wraps up with them doing like getting setting up for the spit take uh on Harriet, and she's like, no, I don't want to get. Uh, the virus yeah don't have a bunch of people spit on me on live television what the Even hell if there was no virus <laughs> that's such a gross idea terrible hmm. yeah um uh did you both know who this musical guest was corinne bailey ray i did never heard of her i, I like her a lot you should check her music out i had heard of her uh that's about all i can say because i'm not i'm not with the i'm not hip with the kids i'm afraid she was popular at this time her yeah, main song they, that was they, really they were shooting at like hey, look who we got on the episode yeah <laughs> it's like who is that 
Girl, put or put your records on is the song that you've probably heard. Oh, put your records on. Sure, your favorite song. That song is her. Okay, um, I see. I specifically remember this is just a weird story that I'll never get to share anywhere else. I used to watch a lot of VH1, and they had these like preview of new artists, and it was like a thirty second spot, just being like, "Here's what this artist is about." And they had one for the Frey, and they had one for Corinne Bailey Ray, and I always thought they like the clip they played of her was very good. She was also a musical guest on SNL in 2006. Mm-hmm. That rules. She was yeah. also on Project Runway. I mean, I was on Project Runway. That ain't shit. That show's good. Don't don't don't, don't slander Project Runway. Now America's Next Top Model. No is a problem. Yeah, that's that's no good. No, 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 no. Um, um I, there was one other. Oh, I I I thought it was cute that it was raining and everybody was coming in from the rain totally drenched. Um, how often six does it rain in Los Angeles? Not. <laughs> I mean, not. you know, it's I not mean, literally there are droughts, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, right now we're not in a drought, but yeah, it is. It is. It is fairly uncommon. Yeah, I I think from like a script writing perspective, you have to have fun with like, and it's all it's raining for the whole episode. But I mean, I think like that does happen sometimes, and so I actually I extremely buy like one uh, Matt being like, who would have thought it would rain all day? Like, yeah, no, that's for here. That's very weird, and also no one having an umbrella totally makes sense. Yeah, yep, that exactly. They're not used to it. Like we're not used to every time sun. it rains here uh, at my <clears throat> job at a major retailer. Suddenly, you get tons of people coming in, being like, "Do you know where I could buy an an umbrella? Do people sell umbrellas?" And you're like, "Yes, Do you buy those." Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah every, I, there's there's a line. I think Danny was like, "Does anybody around here know how to operate an umbrella?" <laughs> I, I didn't catch that either. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, and then yeah, my only other I, I, so I had a stray note here. There's a part that I think really effectively conveys how stressed out the like or how stressed you must be doing the seven day production cycle, which is just a brief moment of uh, Matt and Danny doing a walk and talk. And Matt goes, are you still holding Tuesday's paper? Because <laughs> it's Friday. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit, that is kind of relatable. Because when you fall down a hole of like working so much and then you're like, ah, what am I looking at? Fuck, this email's from like two weeks ago. Oh, I'm like responding to it like it's from today. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what time is. I definitely could relate to that. Um, And I I found some thematic parallels uh, between Jordan being told that her audience is not. Well, she's this the um, Jack Rudolph, who I was very glad to see again. We didn't get enough of him, but we got him briefly. Is like your audience is the investors, the people that you need to appeal to and interview well for are the people who pay who ultimately like lead to you getting paid and keeping your job. So you have to do that. And I thought that was a cool parallel to like. On Studio 60, everyone's audience is the American public and the TV watching public, whereas hers is like the 1%. <laughs> like mm-hmm. she has a different uh, type of people that she has to court and like be right. uh, subservient to in a way. Right. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I got. Um, it's a dense ass episode. It's really fun and engaging. Um, there's a lot of good moments and. Yeah, I think this is like, again, what these are an example of what Studio 60 could be. If they just kept this up, then this would be a great show. No more romance. No more Matt and uh, Harriet romance. What? Come on. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll keep it as a treat. National Umbrella Day 6. What is this? Oh, you, you mentioned umbrellas. 
I, I searched oh, okay. WikiHow for umbrellas, and I found a WikiHow article on how to celebrate National Umbrella Day. <laughs> oh, and there's a photo of a guy just sitting in his bedroom with an umbrella on the bed. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's you love to see that. That's very fun. Well, let's take it to the close, folks. Magellan, can you tell me what we're watching next time on Studio 60 on the Sunset Chats? Surely I can. We're about to pass the halfway point of Thank Christ. Studio 60. Uh, next okay. episode is the halfway point uh, because we are watching episodes 11 and 12 of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. First, episode 11, The Christmas Show. As he helps prepare the holiday show, Matt remains determined to bring the Christmas spirit to Los Angeles. Meanwhile, Danny wrestles with his true feelings for Jordan. Uh Uh-oh. Wait, no. Fuck. No, no, no. (laughs) That sounds good to me. Oh. Six thoughts? Then, yeah. Uh, I try not to think. Thank you. As a rule. All right. Good. That's good for the show. Then, episode 12, Monday. The cast and staff come back from their holiday break and prepare for the first show of the new year. Danny is in pursuit of Jordan, and Matt bids for a date with Harriet in an auction. Oh! <laughs> and apparently, <laughs> said- Monday is considered the first part of a three-parter oh fun mm. yeah they're gonna say it's considered one of the best or worst episodes of the show i was like i don't think people consider that <laughs> with the i don't show. think that's considered yeah i don't think anybody's out there doing rankings yeah fair we could do that at the end maybe we'll think about it yeah i think so why not uh you Where s- the rank of mobile suits yeah exactly Ex- same exact thing six yes uh the tall geese wins either way um cool Any well, suit let's that lets it- me move my arms mobile enough for me i got it that's a good joke you said all right so it's time for the plug sound folks um hi everybody it's chats and on our end um you can email us at chatspod at gmail.com we are also on twitter at chatspod and you can rate our podcast on itunes or your podcast platform of choice and if you're listening to this then we still have a wonderful patreon over at patreon.com slash chatspod um where we have all sorts of bonus content and at just three dollars a month uh, now, as of this recording, plus tax, unfortunately, um, you can get all of our bonus content as well as a huge backlog. <laughs> taxes are good. No, it's taxes are good, but I just don't want people to have to pay more for the show. Yeah, you're right. Um, Six, what do you want to plug? Well, so I'm on Twitter at Six Detmar, S-I-X-D-E-T-T-M-A-R. Most of my podcasts are at ScanlineMedia.com or Patreon.com slash ScanlineMedia. And we just did a little bit of a rework to the ScanLine Patreon. Uh, Because of that taxing, we were like, hey, we've got our $5 tier, which gives you access to all the shows that we do and a few other things. But we're like, oh, but with the addition of tax, like, you know, again, taxes are good. I want to help pay for the government, but timing's not great. Um, so what if we came up with a new tier that gave you all the shows that we do, but just not some of the other miscellaneous benefits? So we now have a $4 tier that gets you Oops and Anime, Iris and Audio, which is where we talk about movies and TV, and Scanline Tabletop. Recommend it. Huh. I'm into it. I'm excited about it, and I'm thrilled about it. Well, thank you. Now let's go around the table and do chat sums. Majel, what is your chat sum for this episode? Uh, this time it's a comedy related chat. Some it's actually, I mentioned that I heard David Wayne on a podcast. Well, I'm going to tell you what podcast it was. It was the vulture podcast. Good one. Uh, where if you haven't heard of it, basically what they do is they 
interview um, a comedian about a particular sketch or if they're a stand-up comedian, a particular bit, um, or if they're like a comedy film director, a scene from a movie or something like that, um, and just kind of go through the process of where did this idea come from? What does it say about your sort of philosophy on comedy? And uh, it's really cool. There you know, are some episodes that I think are better than others, so it's one of those shows where you can just pick and choose like who are the comedians that you're most interested in. The David Wayne one is is really good. Uh, so I'd recommend that one for sure. And then from there, you can kind of choose whatever seems most interesting to you. But yeah, mm. good one. Ah, uh, good one. Nadal, that was a good one. Thank you. And the David Wayne episode, he talks about this great classic uh, state sketch uh, called Taco Man. That's, uh, if you're looking for actually good sketch comedy, you should watch the state. Uh, and, oh. and, the ta- and Taco Man's a good sketch. Okay. I'll check it out. It's about a mailman who delivers tacos. I can relate. Oh, Uber Eats? Uh, sure. Six, what's your chat for this episode? So, I've been talking to a lot of folks lately. Uh, a friend of ours uh, at, over at Abnormal Mapping is uh, the Great Gundam Project is continuing their podcasting about every Gundam show. They got into Gundam Wing, which was the first show to hit the United States. They're very excited. Other people are very excited. But you know what? talking to people about mecca and i'm hearing these these uh takes that are not stupid just uninformed and you know <laughs> what you should watch mobile suit gundam 0079 the original gundam mm. that's a good show but it's so old you know what sometimes age is yeah. good like bradley huh. whitford some things get better with age oh now you're selling me pal so, so what's this show about? I've never heard of Mecha before. What could Mobile Suit Gundam be about? So Mobile Suit Gundam is a is a show where the premise is that Earth is at war with uh, space colonies. There's an issue of uh, you know freedom, and uh, maybe maybe there's some some uh, complicated politics going on. This doesn't matter to Amuro Ray, who is just a teenage boy who is caught up in this conflict, who is accidentally roped into being the pilot of a uh, super advanced war machine on a Mm -hmm. super secret military ship. And uh, because of circumstance and because of the, the state of the war, which is very bad, he has no choice but to pilot this machine while coping with his own trauma and the, the, the horrors of becoming a soldier. Oh, and maybe psychic because the show gets weird in a good way. Who knew? Who could say? And maybe he's just really good at intuiting other people's feelings. Who could say? Um, a- that's fantastic. I, I can second that recommendation. Mobile Suit Gundam is a wonderful show. It's uh, Even if you don't like anime, it barely it doesn't even look like anime because it's the 70s and mm-hmm. it's got that like cooler look. It definitely has it's a very really- Saturday morning cartoon feel. Yes. Um, I really like it. And watch the show. Don't watch the compilation movies. Cause right. They're, they're no, bad. don't do not do the compilation. I mean, they're fine. It's just you, fine. you're losing a lot. Exactly. Um, I have a chat, Sam, if y'all will allow it. I'll allow it. I'll allow it, and I'll call now. I'll call. Um, so there's a little book from the from the old ten times of 1815, and it's called Emma, the Bible. Colon, 1815's <laughs> 1815's the Bible. Yes, <laughs> it's a um, remake. 1815's. <laughs> may I speak? The Bible <laughs> too. <laughs> Sorry, please go ahead. 
it's called Emma. They made a movie. They made a bunch of movies. It's one of Jane Austen's most popular books. Um, I've never read it. Um, I've enjoyed Jane Austen here and there. I had the classic thing of like growing up as a little boy being like, uh, Jane Austen's boring. I don't care about romance and fancy language. And then you get older and you realize that like so much of our modern media is basically like straight up remakes and reimaginings of Jane Austen stories. And, you know, for example, Clueless is a straight up remake of Emma. It's a reimagining of Emma that takes place in Valley Girl, California instead of uh, 1800s England. And Emma, for folks who don't know, is a story about a girl who interferes in the love lives of all of her other rich uh, aristocratic friends. Um, and that kind of goes well for a while and it doesn't go well. So it's a bunch of teens falling in love with each other and uh, courting each other and figuring out what love means. And it's really charming and funny. And in particular, this 2020 adaptation uh, is stupendous because it's fucking beautiful. If I can use a- another cur- cuss word, I'll get one of my, my rare cuss words. Um it's really well directed. Uh, I'm not familiar with the director Autumn DeWild at all, but they're really they just make it looks everything pops. It's very colorful. It has the like cadence of like a Wes Anderson movie almost, but without the like annoying tweeness of that. Um, and it's just yeah, it's a feast for the eyes and for the ears. It's got an amazing soundtrack. As soon as I finished it, I downloaded the soundtrack. Um, if you haven't checked out any like if you're like usually opposed to period pieces. Um, and you're willing to to like deal with slightly like old British dialogue, which I think is pretty easy to, to grasp. You gotta watch 2020 Emma. It's very good uh, and holds up super well uh, as like an old story today. Nice. Check it out, kids. Kids. And that, dear listener, is going to do it for this episode of Studio 60 on the Sunset Chats. Let's restart the clock. Nice. I said it to myself for like five minutes on the train home today. I was like, let's restart. <laughs> <laughs> you have to leave that in. That episode weirdly made me nostalgic for doing spit takes <laughs> of all things. So here's hoping that pretty soon we'll be able to do those things again in a hygienic way. Um, I mean, I'm coming at you having just gotten my second dose of the vaccine, so we are well on our way. One half of the Chats kids are vaccinated at this point, so that is exciting. But yeah, uh, I wanted to just share a couple more timely plugs here at the end of the show. So as we said on the episode, you can, of course, support us on Patreon. If you'd like to know what's going on on Patreon this month in February, the first Saturday of this month, we put out our rankings of the Star Wars movies because we felt like it. Yesterday, we put out a commentary of The Princess Bride for Valentine's Day, and it was actually the first time I had ever seen it. So if you would like to experience that movie through fresh eyes, that is how you could do that. And then next Saturday and the following Saturday, we're going to be piloting some mini series that we might want to be doing for season 11, which will come up once Sunset Chats is over. The other exciting thing is that on Friday, we launched our Twitch channel for chats. So every now and then we're going to try to do some streams, you know, one, two times a month, something like that. We'll see how it fits into our schedule. But if you go over to Chatspod, 
on Twitch, then you'll see an archive of our very first stream where we tried to play the uh, Switch port of Super Mario 3D World. And I'll tell you right now, fair warning, we had some significant lag issues which we pinned on Nintendo and then turned out to be the fault of my Wi-Fi. My Wi-Fi. Um, so, yeah, you're not going to see buttery smooth gameplay. You're going to see us wrestling with some technical difficulties. Um, but it ended up being pretty fun, I think. I, partway through, also, I, I will be totally honest, um, I got so frustrated with the Wi-Fi situation that I uh, kind of, you know, gracefully bowed out of the stream. But luckily, we had guests with us. We had Six, who you've been loving on this season of Chats. Uh, and we had Jen, who is also from uh, Scanline Media, along with Six. And they were wonderful, wonderful pair of guests for that inaugural stream. So I, I highly encourage you to go check that out um, over on Twitch. And then if there are things that you'd like to see us play, let us know. Uh, but yeah, that's what I got. Thank you so much, folks, for listening to this episode of Sunset Chats. We appreciate your listenership and your support. And uh, until next time, 